This is Tort Talk with Terrence A. Gross, a board-certified personal injury lawyer. Welcome back to Tort Talk. I am your host, Paul Stadden. Well, host, facilitator, questions asker. The important thing is I know what to ask and who to ask. That person to ask is Terrence Gross of Gross and Schuster. Now, you've listened to other episodes about how to build a case, about how to do research, and these are really important topics. We love bringing these to you every week, so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and you're listening to it every time we come out with a new one. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Glad to be here. Well, now, let's talk a little bit about how you come up with a case value. We've talked a lot about people coming up to you and saying, hey, how much is this accident worth? How much is this thing that has happened to me worth? And that doesn't really sound like it's an easy to answer question without a lot of other questions coming along with it. So how do you come up with a case value? You know, it's a very complex theory and you're right. There are many times in my past that either some young lawyers or general practitioners, people that handle maybe two, three, four personal injury cases a year and they get they're ready to try to conclude it and they really don't know what to do or what it's worth and they'll meet me at a cocktail party and they'll give me just a few basic facts and think like a ticker tape machine I'm going to just spit out an answer and nothing could be further from the truth then if the lawyer were to ask me well okay Mr. Gross I sort of understand what you're saying can you recommend a book can you give me a good book that I could read on how to evaluate cases There really is no such book, and if there were, it's probably worthless. And the reason (laughs) I say that, that that there are some main ingredients that lawyers look at, but then there's some very subjective uh, ingredients, such as the client's credibility and all kinds of other factors. So on paper, some cases may sound identical, but yet uh, be worth uh, a lot more giving just various uh, factors that could be there. So what are some of these factors? First of all, you know, we got to look at liability. So if you get rear-ended at a red light, that's pretty easy. So we don't have to worry about a liability argument. But if you're going 60 and a 45 and someone does pull out from a stop sign in front of you, well, they violated your right-of-way. They may even get ticketed for violation of a right-of-way. But in trial, their lawyer can argue that you are speeding and that your speeding contributed. They may argue, well, had you been going 45, I would have had plenty of time to pull out and the accident never would have happened. So what that's called in Florida is comparative negligence. Mm. So if it went to trial, that case, and the jury found the person that violated the right-of-way was 80% at fault, and then uh, me that was going... Uh, over the speed limit was 20% at fault, then I'll only get 80% of the damages. It's a common sense approach. It's actually a very good law. You compare negligence. So you got to look at that. Uh, there is a reduction for seat, not wearing a seatbelt in the state of Florida. That's a form of comparative negligence as well. And that could reduce someone's damages. So you got to look at that. Also, uh, pictures of the car uh, have, a, have an effect. Now, I've had people that have ended up with surgery. Uh, but if you look to the pictures of the car, you go, what? This mm. was just a little fender bender. But again, they could have been older, maybe no prior problems. But as we get older, we develop what's called disc desiccation. And all that really means is that your discs are drying out. And if they dry out, they get more brittle, and they're easier to crack. 
and therefore anybody who's in their 40s, 50s, and 60s has some degree of desiccation because it's like getting gray hair or wrinkles or anything else. We lose the water, we lose the fluid in our disc, and we lose the height. That's why grandma that was 5'6 when she was 40 at 80 is only 5'4 because each disc has shrunk. So that, that comes into play. And so some people are more susceptible to injury, of course. So vehicle damage can be a, a factor. I would tell you that in the courtroom, sometimes it doesn't play well. So if there's not much damage, you better believe that the insurance company is going to blow up the pictures as big as they can to get the jury to ignore the medical evidence, the MRIs and the doctors, and just look at the picture and say, wait a second. This person couldn't have had surgery. and But likewise, conversely, if it's a major impact on my client's cars destroyed, of course, I'm going to present those pictures to a jury. And then they, they, they may have that gotcha moment. And it does help, but it shouldn't be the be-all or, or the end-all in these cases. So there's just so many factors. How much does a client owe in medical bills? I, I get a lot of these surgery cases. And um, normally, like with a with cervical fusion, those bills are nowadays $100,000. And if you don't have health insurance and we're trying to settle and you owe $100,000, well, duh, if it's a big company that hits you like a Coca-Cola truck or a Brinks truck or something like that, well, then they're going to have to pay more money for you to net something. Meanwhile, if you've got Medicare or if you've got Blue Cross, they have fee schedules where the doctors have to write off a lot of the bills. So if the surgery is 100000 Medicare is not paying $100,000 for surgery. They'll pay 22000 and the doctors have to write off 70-some-odd thousand dollars usually. If the bills are written off, that simply means you don't owe it. Hmm. So, so, but, so I think it, there's a lot of truth to this, and I think any lawyer in the United States would agree that the more bills the claimant owes the more the case overall is worth and and there's also a subjective component if if you were sitting on a jury and it's three years after the accident and you hear the person's total bills are eight thousand it just doesn't sound like a very bad injury with couldn't be much treatment for eight thousand dollars meanwhile another person in the next courtroom over with similar injuries, but their bills are 42000 is probably going to have a bigger verdict, probably more for medical bills and maybe more for pain and suffering. And then did the person have injections or was it just chiropractic? You know, so injection cases are always worth more than just chiropractic cases because who's going to go get injections to fake a case, to malinger? Is the malinger really going to undergo epidurals and ablations and RFA procedures so they can get more money? Uh, I don't think so. That'd be a hard <laughs> argument to make. I'd hate to be the lawyer making that argument in the courtroom. And, of course, the surgery cases or a surgical recommendation. Now, sometimes people, understandably, that uh, some doctor says, you need spinal surgery. And yet, um, uh, they don't want it. And that's understandable. Well, there is a big difference between a surgical recommendation and the actual surgery itself. So a surgical recommendation certainly is worth a lot more than some garden variety whiplash case, but it's not worth anywhere near what a surgery case is because 
because with surgery, the bills are there. You're not guessing what the bills are going to be and how much. You're not guessing if there are going to be bills. And of course, with surgery, there's pain and suffering, there's scars. And again, it is very hard. If they went through surgery, are you now going to be called a faker or malingerer in the courtroom? Are they now going to argue, oh, you just had surgery to build the case. You'd be laughed out of the courtroom uh, if that was the case. So anyway, um, you know, these are just, there's so many variables. I can go over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, it just, the, and then there's the credibility of the plaintiff, which we may discuss in future shows, because I want to stay in this topic because it's just not something I can answer in, in 12 minutes or the length of right. this podcast. There's so many things, Paul, that, uh, you know, that we look at, uh, just the whole picture. We have to look at the whole picture. We look at priors. Right. So what we do in our office is we get all the prior records. So a person that has no prior injuries, it should be common sense that that's going to be a lot easier for the case to progress and for the lawyer to handle than someone that's had a lot of priors and you're trying to distinguish. Well, it used uh, to my pain level was a six before the accident. Now it's a seven, and you know it becomes very subjective unless you have MRI evidence, and that's another. Uh, piece of evidence that we got to talk about because there's two types of evidence subjective what the plaintiff says objective what pictures shows so we talked about the pictures of cars but also MRIs you yeah. can't go into an MRI scanner and fake it you can't right. go around, I'm gonna fake a herniated disc I'm gonna concentrate and I'm gonna <laughs> fake a herniated disc you can't do that you lay in there and it's either there or not the the radiologist is gonna read it now radiologists may not agree on the results but but again, whatever they say is, is is what is going to be the evidence. And if they say you've got our disc herniation at C5-6, well, then there you go. And and you that's an objective finding, like a broken bone. If you break your arm, you, they can't say, oh, you're faking that broken arm. Now, they can try to argue, well, maybe that herniated disc was there before the accident. And then mm. you're arguing all kinds of things. And there are telltale signs. You know, there are the factors uh that big a lot of big words they throw around these radiologists and neurosurgeons you know spondylosis uh, osteophytes things that that show long standing problems uh so there's so much that goes into this uh lost wages now some people come in with lost wages but if you're a self-employed fella and they'll say well mr gross i make 50,000 a year i said okay and you're not working? No, I'm not working. I said, well, let's take a look at your tax returns or show me your 1099s, or your W-2s. Show me whatever you got to reflect and they get real quiet. Mm. And either they haven't filed tax returns in three or four or five years or they have filed them and they've claimed $12,000. Well, if right. you're a waitress, if you're a painter or whatever you are and you've claimed 12000 on a tax return to uh, the IRS, you cannot go to court and say, well, it was really 50000 wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to play too well. I mean, remember, you're not only testifying in front of the jury, but you got a judge there, and every bailiff is a sheriff's deputy. Yeah. So I don't, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Uh, so these are just all the indicators. There's so many more that we've got to talk about, but it looks like we're out of time already. Well, I'd love to pick this up next week. Well, we have a... a- I have a quick question for you. Maybe we can follow up on this next week because we talk about evidence uh, that can't be faked or things that are conclusive. And you mentioned pictures and I'm thinking about dash cams. And maybe we can explore this another time, but what happens when 
video or pictures can be interpreted two different ways by both sides. They say, look, no, my client was clearly speeding. Uh, you know, your client was clearly speeding when he was coming up to the red light. Like, well, no, no, he was not. He was following, he was driving a normal pace, but your client shouldn't have stopped as soon as he did. So can you, do you have things that can be interpreted two different ways by both sides? All the time, uh, and that's a great topic for the next show. You know what? I'm looking forward to talking about that with you, Terrence. How can people get a hold of you? 850-434-3333 or visit us on the web at grossandschuster.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tort Talk. If you want to hear the other episodes, well, it's as easy as going up in the player right now and listening to previous ones. It gives you a good idea of what the show is like. We hope you're going to listen to us next time. Thank you for joining me this week, Terrence. Terrence.